The following is a sponsored program on 100.7 FM, WHIN 1010 AM. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this program are solely those of the individuals or participants involved and do not necessarily represent those of Braden Madison Broadcasting or its employees. 100.7 FM, WHIN 1010 AM presents Sumner County Spotlight, a weekly public affairs program each Sunday morning at 10 AM. Here's your host for Sumner County Spotlight, Jeff Shannon. Well, welcome to Sumner County Spotlight, another Sunday edition underway at this point. I'm Jeff Shannon, and we have um, brought you a lot of great guests uh, over the over the years. And uh, I ran into this young feller here the other day, and uh, well, actually not, but uh, David Harden. He is the owner of Biker's Choice right here on Main Street, and probably one of the most incredible bike shops you've ever seen in your life and they've they've got some beasts in there i had to put s on it because there's a lot of them in there so i wanted to bring in uh, david to talk about the history of biking and things that have gone on in hendersonville we have greenways going on we have just a lot to talk about so david thanks for coming in and uh, taking your time hey my pleasure glad to be here thanks for having me i just kick it off You've got a lot of history here in Hendersonville, so why don't we tell everybody sure about thing. that? Yeah, yeah. My parents moved here in '72. Uh, they were from White House in Portland. We started living over in Westington in '75, '76, and we had a little bike club over there, and it was pretty cool. <laughs> We'd ride our bikes to school and had a little place underneath the power lines called Honda Hills, and I remember jumping my bike over there quite a bit. So uh, Hendersonville, uh, West. Do you have one of those banana bikes? Banana, banana bikes? seat bikes? No, I had a Huffy Pro Thunder. <laughs> oh, you? Ha- oh, you're high, Huffy high Pro in there. Thunder. <laughs> Jet, yeah, it was a fun bike. It actually got stolen. You know, I, yeah, we went after Seven Eleven and uh, left my bike in the front yard and came back and it was gone. Wow, devastating, devastated, and crushed. <laughs> you learn young, right? Yeah. So I uh, moved to Walton Ferry for a year or two. Lived back there on uh, Nan Drive over by Lakeside Apartments, and then uh, moved out to Station Camp. So Station Camp, growing on Upper Station Camp mm-hmm. Creek Road, that's where I did most of my bike riding um, and. Ended up getting a, with I had some buddies Jeff Ryden and uh, Ronnie Bunch and a few other guys that were all into motorcycles and I got excited about motorcycles and then uh, got turned on to BMX. So the okay. local bike shop in town was selling BMX bikes. Uh-huh. So I went in there and I've been tearing up my Pro Thunders, you know, my department store bikes pretty regularly and I uh, <laughs> got this uh, Kuwahara KZ1. It's the same bike they used in the movie ET. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it was a cool okay. bike. And uh, so I got it. I was blown away with how well it rode. It was light, strong, durable. I, you remember what that cost back then? $450. Oh, back then? 1981. Wow. That's wow. 450 So, yeah, I was, had to sell my motorcycle to get that <laughs> and haul some, do some work, a lot yeah. of work, mow the yards. And, so, but it's cool. It was the first thing I really learned about ownership. And, um, you know, I had been buying, you know, parents have been supplying me those $100 Pro Thunders, and uh, I rode that bike for two years, rode a lot, and it was a gateway bike for me. Got me into BMX pretty heavily, blown away with the sport of BMX, uh, learned to do my tabletops and all my jumps, and, you know, it, it kind of, it, it really inspired me. So I, I had that bike for two years and was able to sell it for $250 afterwards, so mm. after using it. And that was original parts, so I didn't put any money into the bike. So. Wow. That, to me, was a good investment, and that really inspired me to believe in the investment of a bicycle. So back then, did you have to build your own track, like, you know, make oh, the yeah. jumps and all that stuff? They, <laughs> yes. they, they didn't make them back then, right? <laughs> yeah, I cracked some ribs doing it that <laughs> way. Yeah, I built a platform off my quarter pipe. I, I, I built an extension off my 
And so I didn't really have all the plywood I needed, so I, I left a hole open up top and <laughs> and uh, did my fly out 360 and put my foot in the hole and fell through and cracked rim on our little support beam. So yeah, that hurt. So yeah, bu- yeah. building stuff was part of the deal. You, yeah. you you had to build your own stuff, build your own jumps, and you know, community. We would ride in you know neighborhoods. You know, I had friends in Westington, friends in Indian Lake. Um, uh, that we'd go hit their their quarter pipes and their jumps. There were jumps all over around town, so that was one of the ways got to meet so many different people. Wow. So what are they called at when these guys fly in the air and spin the bike and rotate and do 360s? And, so is that a specific Yeah, uh, freestyle. Kind of, I think freestyle, they kind of spun yeah. off into freestyle BMX, yeah. and um, freestyle was – there's racing BMX, and then there's freestyle BMX. And freestyle uh, was pretty cool, but, you know, certainly BMX is still doing it as well, so um, – Kind of grew out of that though, and moved more into the mountain biking thing. Mm-hmm. And mountain biking took off in the late '80s, early '90s, and uh, you know our bike shop was kind of like the host shop for the construction of Lock Four Mountain Bike Park in Gallatin. So, mm-hmm. uh, we, customers were coming in looking for a place to ride. And so, now when did you start that shop? Started the shop in 1989, okay. 34 years ago. All right. March of '89. Now, did you you focused on all like did, did you do BMX or just the mountain well, bikes? When I and, started, I was a BMX. I had 15 mountain bikes and 15 bmx bikes and gt bikes was one of my sponsors and they gave me a line of credit at 20 years old and i rented a little house for 250 dollars a month and got started so can't do that these days <laughs> no and it was it was actually right there at where casa vieja is right across the street yeah next to bastion dentistry the wow. empty lot's still there mr ernst bought the lot but it's it's a cool it was yeah so i drive past it quite a bit every day so yeah. where, where i started 34 years ago wow so it got in your blood at that point. And say, well, I like uh, I like did. teaching people because you actually really get to teach people a lot. Yeah, and yeah, you got to love people, and I I really do. I mean, I, there's so many uh, customers that are just you know almost like godfathers to me, you know, or, or just it, it's I'm so grateful, especially during COVID. You you just noticed, mm-hmm. or anytime I've had lean years, or you know, uh, it's it's the customers that really make the business worthwhile for sure. Yeah, I th- I'm trying to remember if I actually saw guys on bikes with the mask on, riding. Oh. riding. <laughs> there was not. not that I'm many. sure that would be a little. It, it was. It was. You know, gosh, COVID was such a mess. Everything was brought up. Yeah. You know, all the risk and concern. So yeah, let's leave. Uh, not not my favorite time. Yeah. Well, it's in the past. It's, it's done past. and over with. Hey, we move on. That's for sure. Learn to move on. So you did all those years and uh, at, at the beginning mm-hmm. in the in the bike shop, and you mentioned the Lock Four. Tell a little history about all of that. So yeah, so Lock Four was we started a club. You know, I, I put put a list out on the counter for the customers to sign up for a club. This friend of mine. Uh, mm, can't remember her name, but we st- we uh, started the Summer County Cycling Club. So we put a list out and started collecting names, and some customers were coming in and were looking for a place to ride mountain bikes. So um, we found uh, one of the customers used to go parking out at Lock 4 Park, and uh, they said, this looks like it's got some property. So I called up the Parks Department in Gallatin, and they gave us permission for all eight of my friends to build trails at Lock 4. And if you go out there today, I mean, here you know, we, we just had a race out there with 550 mountain bike kids, high schoolers from all around the state of Tennessee. So this is going in the trees and in the woods and all that stuff. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of like snow skiing. You know, if you were to picture snow skiing through the woods, but on a bicycle, it's just... So here's a a teaching moment for you. All right. So if you're riding through these trees and Mm -hmm. you're blasting through there, 
Where do you focus? Oh, you always look about 15, 10 feet, 10 feet, 15 feet in front of you. You don't look down where you're at. You need yeah. to look where you're going to be going. Right? And, and one of my sayings, if you look around, you're on the ground. So if, you, if you're not paying attention, I mean, it's to the inches out there. Right. You've got to pick your lines to the inch. And mm-hmm. So, yeah, turns especially, you know, drifting through turns. And some of our turns are right there on the water shore. So you can, if you miss your turn, you can get wet so you'll be going fishing, <laughs> be going fishing. <laughs> or they'll be fishing for you <laughs> yeah but it's fun it's, it's been a great opportunity for the store and it's uh, a, a great uh, you know I, I really enjoy going out there cutting trails building trails uh, maintaining trails but our citizens as well they they do a great job of going out there with you know like this last weekend with the windstorm or two weekends ago when we had the massive windstorm mm-hmm. on sunday 150 acres of woods you can imagine how many trees were down oh yeah all got cleaned up on sunday we had about i'd say 15 20 people show up on sunday with Isn't that great? and go to town yeah it's a great community we live in those people love biking there yes they do <laughs> yeah they, they yeah can't ride when the uh, trees are covered up so um yeah we're, we're blessed to have that for sure so is there a – well, I, I don't want to be, like, age-specific, but you have different age groups as far as riders and because they have different capabilities, abilities, and, you know, requirements. Mm-hmm. Is there anything like that? So if you're, you know, in your 60s, you're in good shape, you, you like to ride, you can come out and ride. You do. I mean, you know, biking's really healthy for the body. It, it's easy on the knees, easy on – you know, it's great for the uh, cardio, great, great for your blood flow. Just keep that blood flow going. So, I mean, we highly encourage people of all ages, all the way up to, you know, early 70s uh, yeah. to, to ride. But um, the fun ones are guys like me, 50, 54, you know, who's trying to relive our youth out there and, and you know <laughs> – you gotta you, you got it you got the skill in the brain but you don't have the skill in the body so you know it's it's if you're not riding three times a week you know it, it to some degree and, you, and you're trying to come trying to ride with those technical skills you can get hurt yeah. so, what are some of the most uh, prevalent injuries one would have collarbone, other than falling down I collarbone mean, you know, that's some that's, that's collarbone broken collarbone really maybe a cracked rib you know, but I'd say take most, a tumble, most, yeah. most crashes are collarbones, just kind of, you know, over the handlebar and, you know, you're supposed to tuck and roll and they don't quite get the roll just right. And yeah. so then you flop. Yeah. <laughs> now is, um, well, hold on. God, it was right there. Forgot it. Um, we'll talk green anyways. It'll come back. It'll talk. I'll come back to me. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so what about knees? You mentioned early before that mm-hmm. uh, you're, you know, you, you hit a knee. I mean, that's obviously going to happen, mm-hmm. but biking is a lot easier on your knees than running. Yeah. I mean, we do have some running transfer, you know, people that are burnt out on running, something hard on their knees mm-hmm. and have people get into road riding or mountain biking to protect their knees. So here's so the question helping. I've always wondered. How can these guys or you all sit on those seats? that go halfway up your butt. Mm. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. how? Uh, I don't see how that's possible. <laughs> yeah, why do they keep designing them that way to be so torturous? And they continue to design them to be torturous. Yeah. And, and, well, that's a couple things. I mean, when you're on a bike, you, you really need to be able to slide your, your hips around. You know, if you think about just being able to, to set your balance and weight distribution, mm-hmm. if you can't slide forward and backwards, hips slide forwards and backwards easily, you're going to be kind of jammed into one position. So when you go to make an outside, make a turn, typically your outside leg goes down. And when that outside leg goes down, the hip goes back. Well, if, if the hip can't go back, then all your body weight goes forward. So okay. when your body weight goes forward into a turn, you're going to wash out you, and mm-hmm. boom, crack collarbone. So you, you ha- need to have something that's fairly flat, that's 
maneuverable because we do have to maneuver around a lot on our saddle. And then there's a couple of different ways you sit on the bike. You typically want to set on the bike uh, a little bit like uh, Pee Wee Herman. You know, you want to have the, the belt buckle up high, not okay. necessarily drop down. So when you set up on your set bones, uh, the set bones are only so wide, and they're and they're going to support you off of your perineal uh, artery and nerve. So there's okay. an artery and nerve that runs through the center that you want to keep the pressure off of. Right. So you want to keep the, the belly button high, the, t- the hips turned underneath, and set in on those set bones. And those set bones really only require so much padding. They don't require a whole lot of padding. Interesting. Now, that's when you're in the forward position where you're driving your legs. Mm-hmm. When you're driving your legs, it's the same muscles you're going to use getting out of a chair. So if you're getting out of a chair, you're going to lean forward a little bit and drive upwards with mm-hmm. your legs, both legs. Well, when you lean forward like that, you, you, you're... Uh, you're, you're going to chafe if you have a real wide saddle. So okay. you're, you're leaning forward a little bit, and you don't need something that's going to chafe you on the inside. So sure. it, they are precision-made. We sell them in uh, about four different widths okay. uh, for the performance saddles. Now, okay. the, the more casual the rider, the more upright they set back. So the more upright they set back, the wider the saddles get to match okay. the hips. All right. Now, you said chafing before, and I always thought maybe that's why they wear those like the spandex kind of tight real tight to your your Mm -hmm. body correct Mm -hmm. so it it doesn't the material doesn't rub as much correct well the you know there's some compression to those shorts you know Mm -hmm. to keep the muscles it makes the muscles feel good uh there's a chamois in those shorts and that chamois you know when you got your speeding ticket and you had to go wash the fire truck they you know they give you a a chamois to dry the fire truck so that that absorbed the moisture and didn't scratch the paint and that's what we want down there in our in our bottom area we want the the moisture to stay dry so mm-hmm. ideally, we're trying to keep that bottom area as dry as possible and minimize the chafing. So the chamois makes a big difference. Okay. Yeah, because that could be a little uncomfortable once that starts to happen. <sighs> it's, embarrassing to, <laughs> it's embarrassing to scratch in public. <laughs> yes, indeed. So you don't want none of that. All right. Question for you. All right. So you have your handlebars. Mm-hmm. Now, most of the, the bikes that you see, you know, are the the the... 12 speed 100 speed they're now i don't know yeah but those those bars that you can actually lay your arms in mm-hmm. your forearms and do yeah. that what's the difference so that's an aero bar okay so an aero bar is going to narrow your shoulders and give you a little more of an aerodynamic position it ought um, you know and again it's helpful in in that area for sure uh, especially if you're on a flat or into a headwind uh, wind is obviously one of our mm-hmm. we, we don't like wind 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 blows um so uh, an aero bar will let you get down a little lower and bring your elbows in a little easier. Um, now, you're going to see it mostly with triathletes, and triathletes like to have a different saddle or different hip angle than, than a road cyclist does. Because when, when a road cyclist is or mountain biker is on the bike, they're going to dig a little deeper into their glutes and mm-hmm. get those muscles worked, you know, okay. a lot of work and power. But a triathlete typically is going to rely more on their quads. And, the, and those quads are going to need to be uh, a little more in the upright position. So when you lean forward, it actually takes pressure off your hip angle. Okay. So that's where when we're leaning forward like that, you can you have that aero bar to get into and just kind of throw your – it's almost like leaning on a kitchen counter. You can just kind of lean on a kitchen counter okay. and just rest and drive those quads. And okay. that's, that's where a triathlon or triathletes really enjoy the benefits of an aero bar. All right. Well, you know, I want to continue talking about the technology that we're, we have in front of us at this point. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be talking with David Harden with Biker's Choice right here in Hendersonville. So we'll be right back with more of Sumner County Spotlight. Thanks for listening to Sumner County Spotlight, a weekly public affairs program heard each and every Sunday right here on WHIN. Or you can listen on our podcast page at whinradio.com. 
If you'd like to become a sponsor of this program, reach out to me, Jeff Shannon, at jeff at whinradio.com. Well, here we are, back at Sumner County Spotlight, continuing our conversation with David Harden with Biker's Choice right here in Hendersonville. Now, where exactly are you located? We're on the west side of town, 709 West Main. It's going to be coming in from Rivergate area. Okay. Um, New Shackle, between New Shackle and Freehill Road. Yeah. Uh, it's the form of the old uh, Hunts building from Hendersonville. Well, it's got a big old sign. You can't miss it. Big old sign, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Big old building. Now, on the other side, we were talking about the, the technology aspect of this, and, uh, you know, you've seen the changes i mean wow mm-hmm. and to where it was and to where it is now you know we had what what were they they were made out of aluminum and steel and these bikes you know what i mean they're heavy yeah. and you know clunky and things like that yeah it's fun um you know when we first started we were selling mountain bikes and we had this sun tour system called accushift Ooh. and i wanted to drop the f out of the uh, shift because it was <laughs> impossible to dial in and yeah. getting you know mountain bikes were riding in the mud and people were just bringing in muddy bikes trying to get them to shift right it's been and then where we are today now we're running electric shifting so it's we have a new system called uh axis from shrams uh shrams company out of uh chicago and they have a bluetooth shifter that bluetooth to the rear derailleur and the front derailleur and every every shift is precision pop pop I mean, it's it's wow. pretty impressive. So, uh, Bluetooth electric shifting is one of the things that uh, is is amazing. And Bluetooth, uh, Bluetooth, yeah. <laughs> and I know it, right? What's, uh, hey, and get, you know what? It's got an app. It's got an app. <laughs> uh, you gotta have you gotta an, an app. app for your shifting now. So, yeah, it does have. I mean, technology is crazy, but it's so awesome. It really does work. Uh, we've got twelve speeds in the back. The old ten speed used to be two in the front and five in the rear. Mm-hmm. Now we have twelve in the rear. Twelve cocks. So if you had two in the front, that would be 24 speeds if you had three in the front that would be you know 36 speeds so you could have a 36 speed road bike today if you wanted one so the higher you get the harder it is the, yeah the the 12th cog or the 12th cog on the bottom that's going to be the smallest number of teeth and that's going to be the hardest gear so that mm-hmm. would be called gear number 12 and then gear number one would be and the, when would you use that gear sprocket. when you're flying so if you're really moving along you know 20 miles an hour plus you'd be down in the you know 11 10 11 12 if you mm-hmm. start to slow down start to graduate and gradually climb you'll start snaking your way up to the first gear okay now i tell people when they're climbing it's like guys you get you've got to realize i mean it's when you drive a car you don't slow down on, on a hill i mean if the speed limit is 55 it's 55 up the hill it's 55 down the hill and working mm-hmm. so conditioned to do that speed going sure. up the hill but if you really were to look at your exertion rate and what you're actually capable of doing climbing a hill your your average speed maybe on say your average speed is going to be eight miles an hour well don't push 20 miles an hour at the bottom trying to hold 20 until you can't do it anymore and then then get settled in at eight i mean the the real pros the good the good riders know how to kind of find that i mean gradually slide mm-hmm. right into that perfect average speed and actually can accelerate over the tops so it's it's nice to get to the top of a hill and, and know you timed it right I, I call it like cooking chicken it's like taking chicken off the grill you want it just perfectly <laughs> perfect, yeah. perfectly cooked i mean yeah. you know you've and so you, you you want to come over the tops with feeling pretty fresh yeah, and really, you want to come home feeling pretty fresh. Wow! So even the back when they made the early bikes, I remember titanium was a thing, and then aluminum and uh, aircraft aluminum and all that. Mm-hmm. Now you say carbon fiber. That's it, baby. Absolutely. <laughs> even back then in the eighties, early nineties, we were selling titanium road bikes, custom steel road bikes, and every one of them had a carbon fiber fork on them. Okay. So every fork has been carbon fiber since the you know I'd say early nineties, and the question is why and they don't put a light to make it lighter weight and they 
they do it because it's stiffer. There's mm-hmm. a lot of torsional stiffness required to have a good steer and front wheel. So the the axles, I mean, it really supports the axles the best and, and stiffness. Uh, it, it's also our biggest risk. I mean, if you break a fork, if you snap a fork, mm-hmm. your face is going in the dirt. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've done it. Yeah. It hurts. And, <laughs> and so a carbon fiber fork is your strongest material. We can really make carbon super stiff and we can make it compliant. So your hands, which we have, you feel your most discomfort. And for a lot of people, not only in the saddle, but also in their hands, it's a contact point Mm -hmm. and the feet, Mm -hmm. but the hands. So we put a carbon fiber fork in there to dampen vibration in the front end. So you get a dampened ride, you get uh, the stiffness and, and you also get strength, uh, more strength than aluminum. We've taken carbon fiber tubes to aluminum tubes and have them do sword fights and carbon wins every time. Wow. It's a lot stronger. Man, that is crazy. Now in your shop, you, you, you carry all types of bikes yeah you got the mountain bikes electric bikes bikes love kids yeah i mean you've got the whole thing so somebody had a a question you know a bike even for a youngster you have those as well absolutely all right size specific too i mean you know everything is size specific because it's like being on a you know a surfboard you don't want to be too far forward and you don't want to be too far back you kind of want to be perfectly balanced well it's like a shoe the shoe has to fit the bike has to fit you know Mm -hmm. as far as but they're they're tall they don't Mm -hmm. want small tires right the small wheel size correct if it doesn't fit you must quit right that's right that is right <laughs> i like that but but really it's i think of a surfboard because if you are too far balanced forward the bike is squirrely and if you're mm-hmm. too far balanced backwards on the axles your, your bike's squirrely that yeah. way so yeah. having a good fitted bike really plays a, a key fundamental on uh, control right. and how fun it is sure now if somebody is considering you know jumping into the into biking and such uh, what would be the the first uh, point of advice that you would give them Figure out where you want to go. Okay. I mean, you know, find your passion. I mean, what, what's going to make – somebody asked me the other day, what's the best kind of uh, exercise equipment you can buy for the house? The one you're going to use. I mean, that's the best kind. Yeah. So um, because, it's, you know, the most expensive bikes and one not ridden. So we need to find out where you want to ride. That's okay. the number one question I ask people when they come into the store is, where do you want to ride? So, so And there's 100 different places you can go ride. You can ride with your kids just around the neighborhood. I only ride at the beach. Or I want to go mountain biking. Mm-hmm. I want to go you know, I want to go to Colorado. So there, there's you've you got to look with at your opportunities and what's going to be most available to you before you just before you shop for a bike so and if they wanted one of each you would be able to give that absolutely to them. you can provide absolutely, that yeah. straight away <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you could do like all of these football cleats baseball cleats basketball shoes i mean right. you know, it's, well, it's very similar yeah. i mean, I mean yeah, that's... there's different sports and different activities so sure it's not uncommon for our customers to have three yeah, now bikes. you were talking about places to ride yeah now that kind of opens up <laughs> uh a little bit that within Sumner County, uh, what do you consider some of the best places to ride? Well, I mean, my favorite's, you know, the one out my front door. If I can go from my front door somewhere, that's my favorite. Leave the car in the house. and. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm really excited about the opportunities for Hendersonville, that we, we are getting more connectivity in the city of Hendersonville. Uh, this new little greenway that we're putting off of uh, Sanitary Park, it's going to create a, a gateway around um, that nasty intersection at uh, Sanitary Road and Gallatin Road. You know, mm-hmm. now we'll be able to just come into Memorial Park from the backside through the Greenway. Mm-hmm. And there's a little community called Waters View or something mm-hmm. that you, that I shoot you to Lakeside Park. So Lakeside Park, you can ride all the way out to Lakeside to, to Sanitary Park. So the Greenway is going to that little piece of Greenway is going to be a great piece of connectivity for all the citizens of Walton Ferry. But also we 
you know, we have a 16-mile loop for the Indian Lake community okay. already right. in place. Where really? You can ride okay. Berrywood, Bonita. Let's see, we'll, we get back into Lake Terrace and Glen Levin. And there's, so there's a good little loop of 16 miles that the, the people get on their bikes and ride now, currently. But they'll now you can double your mileage because you'll be able to ride over into right. uh, Walton Ferry and ride out to Sanders Ferry Park and back. Motorists kind of get angry when the bikes, the bicyclists are out on the, these little skinny roads. That, that is. And there's 10 or 12 of them in place, and you're like, oh, yeah. what am I? And they're t- tiny roads. But yeah. should they be riding on the trails or on the greenways? You know, that's that's a hot topic. I, I mean, know. It's, uh, you know, we, well, they just built uh, Liberty Creek High School on our main road. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Upper Station Camp. And so we're going to, we kind of lost that road as far as. So the rule is, I mean, any any vehicle going 10 miles an hour below the speed limit, any vehicle, whether it's a car or a horse and buggy or bicycle, whatever, mm-hmm. anything going 10 miles an hour below the speed limit is impeding traffic. And the state law also says any any that a bicycle is a vehicle. So we know that we are impeding traffic when we're out there. And the law says it's okay to impede traffic until you back up five vehicles and you're supposed to pull over. So, and when you have 12 guys riding mm-hmm. in a pace line, now granted they are going pretty fast, 25 mm-hmm. miles an hour, 20 yeah. miles an hour, they, they move along pretty well. It does make it very difficult for them to pass. And at the shop, we've kind of done away with large group rides in this area because mm-hmm. we knew that we would be out there impeding traffic. You know, yeah. so I'm a bigger fan of the two man, three man, five man kind of ride, okay. where you're you're you can kind of huddle and make the passing a lot easier for cars because okay. passing is an issue. You know, it's it's not unlawful to to be out there in a 35 or really unrealistic to be out there on a 35 mile an hour road doing 20 miles an hour. It's not horrible. I don't think it's. Fairly low risk. It is annoying. I mean, and we do have to accept the fact that we are impeding traffic, so we have to, you know, not mm-hmm. get as upset as the cars do because, you know, and, and, and not all cars. I mean, in fact, a lot of the citizens I talked to out on Upper Station Camp, because, you know, I was home, say they they like the, the traffic calming because, you know, they want to cut down on the speeders out there. Mm-hmm. Speeding is really the going to be the the high risk for not only the cyclists on, on upper station camp, but the cars, right. all those high school drivers, lots of prayers for those guys. I hope they learn to drive safe and slow. Mm-hmm. When I lived out there, I flew and I mean, I was doing 55, 60 on upper. I was doing 70 on long. I mean, I know what it's like to be a high school driver out there. Mm-hmm. Today, you're gonna. the kids are going to have to slow down, right. for sure. No chance that they're going to widen upper station at this point. Ooh, I've, well, I, I think they're going to have to do it with the amount I, of traffic you they're know, having. But. I, I pray for the planners. I hope that they uh, – the, the, the big thing in Tennessee is the funding mechanism. I mean, I've seen plans and plans and plans, and I, I, I saw a plan. Because they talked about taking – I think it's from, oh, just the other side of Beach High School out to 109. They – put in a plan to uh, grow 60,000 homes out there. You know, you've seen Carrollton pop up and mm-hmm. planned communities, and, and they just keep thinking that's where we're headed. That's and, it, yeah. And 60,000 homes, a lot of homes. And, and then when they draw those homes in, they draw in, in the plan, they draw in, you know, big big station or upper station camp becoming a parkway and, you know, a little road like Sandy Valley becoming a, you know, two-lane road, you know, with a bike lane and a shoulder. And it's like, well, that's all great on paper, and I love seeing it on paper. Yeah. But show me a way that we're actually going to pay for it. Well, I think uh, the Cottontown folks are going to fight any kind of uh, <laughs> change out God in that man. particular area. <laughs> but, yeah, it, well, it's, it's, a, it's a thing. And I, I, I've seen motorists that have been really rude to cyclists and, I mean, get too close to them, you know, and they're yelling and, and things like that. I mean, you know, you're going to have those people. I guess you can't avoid it. Uh, you know, you say the same thing at, at, over the cars on the, on the bypass. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, cars, you know, you're going to have some guy pass you on the left, on the right hand side, on the bypass and mm-hmm. pushing and drive. And you just can't let him get you down. Ideally, though, if you look at our 10 year history, we, we have had zero deaths with cyclists in, in Sumner County. Knock That's on great. Wood. I mean, so far, I mean, great. it's it's been uh, it's fairly a, pretty much a, a low risk. And, you know, cars really don't want to hit cyclists. They're mm-hmm. actually it scares them pretty good. So sure. cyclists need to ride as far to the right as practical. That's that's what our responsibility is. They mm-hmm. need to ride with a flashing light, you know, a rear mm-hmm. safety light to let them know that we are want them to see us and, and those caution. are pretty bright i've seen they, some of them they're really the daylight good. brights are really nice yeah, yeah. uh so ride ride to the right and ride with the light share the road try to pick roads where you're not going that are over 35 miles an hour they, if they are over 35 try to ride in a bike hope you know, hopefully it has a bike lane okay like we won't ride 76 or 52 i mean 25 all right so here's a question fire what is the future of cycling in sumner county in Sumner, ooh. and if you had something to do with it uh, I think, you know, mountain biking is going to continue to rise because we're seeing a lot of green space, you know, in these developments. They'll, they'll have, uh, you know, a 400-acre farm and a, a 200 acres is going to be planned development. And then you're going to have 200 acres of, of green space. And then in that green space, we can get a three to five, six-mile loop and a mountain bike trail, mountain biking hiking trail. So I think uh, to be able to go out of your neighborhood and ride um, through the woods on a course, you know, mm-hmm. we're doing that over at uh, Beatty Farm. Uh, but then so far we've got... I've built two miles of trail on Beatty Farm with with volunteers and friends, mm-hmm. but uh, um, it's and that's nice because you'll be able to ride from your house over to the park, get the, the outdoor woods experience, you know, nature experience, get out of the you know the neighborhood, right? I mean, uh, and then ride back home. I, th- I like that experience uh, for our communities, and and I I think we're working with a group, the 10, 10 properties group, is trying to build a mountain bike park over behind Masters Glen. Uh, we've mm-hmm. got they're doing that similar thing. Carrollton, we've got the hill behind Carrollton that that could be an opportunity. So I, I'm hope and and Franklin Farms over behind on, on Big Station Camp, they've got room for trails. So I think a trail through the woods that's three to six miles long might be a, a pretty solid opportunity if we continue to build our master plan Greenway. You know, riding with connectivity on City Street to Greenway Trail to City Street to school to retail. Uh, if, if we plan our connectivity right, we'll, we'll have ways to wiggle through town without being, you know, on those dangerous roads. Yeah. That's, I, right. I can commute now. I commute now. And uh, I really enjoy my rides into work because I'll cut through the park. I'll cut over to Beatty Farm. I'll hop on the Warrior Trail over off of over off of Drake's Creek over by Westington. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the commuting part, the racing part, you know, race training. And, you know, you can race train at the mountain bike trails, race training on the road. The guys that I know that are, are race training on the roads are typically going further north to like cross plains and riding the state line up there. Uh, that's There's some beautiful touring just, just north on top of the ridge. You can start the Dollar General on top of 109 going into Portland and ride Hollis Chapel and, and, and uh, Halltown Road. And there's some just some gorgeous far, farm road rides similar to what you saw in uh, the movie Breaking Away where okay. you're just farm fields forever. Well, the future's bright. The future that looks great. Yeah. Listen, we've... This is uh, so exciting. And those that love biking, we're getting into the weather now. That's going to hopefully start getting a lot nicer. So we look forward to seeing a lot of cyclists out there and you guys enjoying uh, uh, cycling. So we've been talking with David Harden with Biker's Choice right here in Hendersonville. And, man, he is so busy. I I was just shocked that you were able to get away from the shop for a little bit to come on down. But I appreciate it. 
Hey, my pleasure. Thank you very Thank much you. for having me. All right. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this segment. We'll be right back with more of Sumner County Spotlight. Thanks for listening to Sumner County Spotlight, a weekly public affairs program heard each and every Sunday right here on WHIN. Or you can listen on our podcast page at whinradio.com. If you'd like to become a sponsor of this program, reach out to me, Jeff Shannon, at jeff at whinradio.com. Well, good morning, and welcome back to Summer County Spotlight. Uh, your host, Jeff Shannon, right here. And listen, on this segment, it's one of those things you hear a, a great idea and a great program, and it just makes you say, we just got to talk about this. I mean, it is just one of those things that you just love, you know? So I found out a lot of kids are really going through a problem, and we, we've talked about depression and kids' anxiety and all of that. This program actually teaches educators how to save lives and really teaches them exactly what they need to know about opioid use and adolescence. So uh, to bring in the expert, I want to introduce Dr. Tyler Barrett. And now he is the executive medical director with emergency services uh, down at Vanderbilt, by the way. And he's a professor of emergency medicine. I think you kind of know a little bit about what you're talking about. Jeff, thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to have the opportunity to really promote this life-saving program. Well, it's one of those things that's so needed. Now you think, well, you've heard of things and you know that, but look, this course is actually, again, focused towards educators, but it could be expanded to some other areas, right? Right. When I think of educators, I really think of any individual who's interacting with our adolescents and and young adults, whether that's a teacher, administrator, a coach, an athletic director, you know, trainers. This is really focused on providing core knowledge to individuals who are on the front lines with our with our kids. Yeah, there's so much to this program that you most people don't even think. But I mean, you've been doing this for a little while. Let everybody know what your background is. So I'm. First and foremost, emergency medicine physician. I trained at Vanderbilt for, for medical school, then went out west uh, to UCLA and, and did my residency and been back in traitor, Middle Tennessee. Traitor, you traitor you. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't help me with my bracket either this year, but, uh, <laughs> but I came back in 2005. You know, when I first came back into Middle Tennessee, we really didn't have any problems that we were seeing with IV drug use, especially things like heroin that were far more prevalent out on the, the West Coast when mm -hmm. I was out there, really started to see an uptick in the mid-2010s. I have two sons, one who was a travel hockey player. So back about five or six years ago, came across this really disturbing article that looked at high school seniors who were athletes and found that high school hockey players and, and high school wrestlers, which was my, my sport in high school, had the highest risk of non-prescription opioids, so abusing pills or heroin use of any sport. Wow, really? And so that really sort of just triggered in me this, boy, this is scary. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, I was on the board of directors for one of the youth hockey leagues uh, in Nashville and, and the league that that's, uh, oversaw so the travel team my son played on. So I kind of worked with some other experts, one who was a Metro you know, vice cop and some teachers and uh, adolescent psychiatrists, and we put together an education program directed towards, at that time, hockey players. Okay. Uh, just to provide some core knowledge to the parents. Yeah, and, and you have to learn how to take care of teeth. <laughs> That's what I've been seeing. So, uh, Yeah, so you have to jump into the dental program. But I would think that uh, football would be the top. And you, I was blown away when you said wrestling and, and hockey. That's a wow. Yeah, wrestling and hockey, although football and lacrosse weren't too far behind. But right. a lot of the sports, even gymnastics, you know, sports where you've got young athletes who are getting hurt, but there's a lot of 
pressure, you know, from them and, you know, maybe from others to get them back on the field or get them back on the training. So they're, you know, if they have a serious injury and have to have surgery, they're oftentimes being exposed, especially in the early 2010s, 2015s, when we weren't as adept to understanding a lot of the complications associated with these pills. Sure. Now, being uh, with emergency medicine, you probably see a lot of these injuries come to Vanderbilt. I mean, this, I mean, I'm sure you do. Yeah. As the level one trauma center in the city, you know, both uh, at the adult hospital where I work and my colleagues over in the children's ED, you know, we're seeing children and, and young adults with sports related injuries, car wrecks, falls, everything uh, every day. With the amount of sports going on in Middle Tennessee, there's a lot of them. So you definitely got to get your share of that. But again, going back to the fact that these kids are experiencing all of these injuries, who are the on the front lines to really notice this, especially as they start showing signs of possible opioid use or addiction or something of that nature, but your coaches especially. I mean, they're going to be probably more so than the teachers. Right. I think coaches and, and trainers um, and, you know, a lot of our schools, teachers are also serving as, you know, coaches uh, mm-hmm. many times, but just providing them with some some core knowledge, some key things to look out for if they start to notice some change in behavior among some of their players or some of their students. I just think back to you know my my own high school career. You know my wrestling coach was also one of my math teachers mm-hmm. and and one of the people I still stay in touch with. You oh, know good. we've all had that teacher, that educator who has been very impactful in our life. And if you have a student, you have a player who's really um, having difficulty and you know unfortunately gets you know, gets involved with some substance use, mm-hmm. a lot of times having that person who can start that conversation and help leading them towards recovery is life-saving. Well, here lies the, the fact that you initiated this new program, and we're going to talk a lot about it. But the interesting thing that I found, this is this not a Sumner County or Davidson County, it, a Middle Tennessee, this is statewide. Right. This program is the latest iteration. We started this program a number of years ago through support from the Tennessee Department of Health and actually also the the CDC. And initially, the education was focused towards our prescribers, our Mm -hmm. physicians, our nurse practitioners, our dentists, our our PAs, our pharmacists, our nurses, really healthcare focused. All of us in healthcare have to take continuing education every couple years related to these topics. Mm -hmm. And we've been directing it towards that. And then this quiz that, that we came up with, we said, well, let's kind of shift gears a little bit. And let's look at another group of individuals who are interacting with students, adolescents, who very likely are at at risk, especially Mm -hmm. as we know coming out of the pandemic, we have a huge surge in adolescents and young adults are having behavior health issues, anxiety, depression, and and that is associated with increased substance use. Now, while you were speaking, it kind of cued me to the fact that what would be some of the criteria if they're going to their primary and they keep coming back for these getting re-prescribed, wouldn't the doc look at that and say, no, I think we need to curb this, uh, change, you know, so you're not uh, using the same medication. What would be the criteria that the the docs would have to use? Let me kind of step back. And there was there was a, a study that came out a number of years ago, which I think is a really important thing for all parents and, and, and teachers to know. And it looked at individuals who hadn't taken any sort of opioid pill before. If they take four days or more, at one year, one in 12 would still be taking pills. Mm-hmm. 
And so when we look at a lot of the pain medication regimens that are going in place as, as, you know, working with my colleagues, specialties that are doing, you know, major surgeries where it is important for somebody to have a few days of, of some pain, pain medication opioids, but you want to try to get that individual off of those pills as quickly as possible. And so the way that we can approach is you want to use the lowest dose for the least amount of time. So if you do have somebody who needs to be on something like oxycodone or hydrocodone because they broke their leg, broke their arm, Mm -hmm. uh, had to have some surgery, you want to transition them to our other kind of medications, our ibuprofens, our acetaminophens, the the topical. I'm using this topical NSAID on my knee right now after hurting <laughs> my knee last week, you know, running. So those are the things you want to get uh, get towards. So. And we were talking earlier uh, off air that, that you can actually take a Tylenol and ibuprofen at the same time to get a similar effect. Right. There's been a couple great studies that, that have come out where they did, you know, what we call blinded studies. Mm-hmm. So the individual taking it doesn't know exactly which one that they're they're getting but they compared um, taking 400 milligrams of ibuprofen which is you know two of the most you know standard formulation you mm-hmm. buy over the counter and a thousand milligrams of Tylenol or acetaminophen, which is you know essentially two extra strain Tylenol. And for for kids, you may use regular strength. Talk with your primary care doctor about the exact dosing. But they were taking the ibuprofen and acetaminophen at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. And we're getting essentially equivalent pain relief to somebody who was taking an oxycodone or hydrocodone. That's amazing. And if you're never exposed to an opioid, you never have to worry about getting dependent on there it. There you go. So. Well, that totally makes sense. Well, one of the, the staggering facts that, that I've seen here, and you provide this in your literature, back in 2020, more Americans died from overdoses than motor vehicle accidents. Is that insane? Does that shock you? It did, and, and it continues. And unfortunately, 2021 and 2022 weren't getting any better. We definitely saw a increase in in overdoses, you know, during during the pandemic years. And you know, a large contributor to this is, you know, as many people have heard, the introduction of fentanyl oh, uh, into wow. our into yes. our communities. How that is is even a thing? Because they say that it is so deadly that just like a pinhead size can take you out. Yeah, we have in, in one of our, our questions, there's a nice graphic that was provided to me by one of my colleagues who worked with Metro Nashville Police and the Narcotics Unit, and it shows three test tubes, the, the amount of heroin, the amount of fentanyl, and then there's this synthetic fentanyl called carfentanyl, which uh, was used to tranquilize elephants. And it <laughs> wow. and it's, it's literally about a teaspoon of heroin, a few grains of fentanyl, and a grain or two of, of carfentanyl is, is lethal. That is just amazing. What Just uh, these, these people that, are, of course, are really addicted, they probably don't even care, but just knowing how deadly that is, and they'll take the risk and buying stuff from strangers, and a lot of that stuff could be laced with it and everything else. It's just like they said, if you, if you find a dollar bill laying on the ground, they... Some idiots put that out there with put some on there and you did it and next thing you know you're you're down. Yeah, the scary thing that we're seeing is even people who may be using other drugs, everything from you know, cocaine, even marijuana these days, there's been some drug dealers that are sort of dipping it into into fentanyl. Gosh. And, you know, it's it's all about trying to get that person sort of the, the greatest high, understanding that mm-hmm. it's going to kill some of the people. Really, I think that the key thing is unless you get a pill 
from a pharmacist that was, you know, was was made at a approved drug manufacturer site. The drug cartels, as as our you know police officer and DEA you know colleagues will tell us, exact copies. People can't Amazing. tell the difference. And you have somebody they think that they're taking a a oxycodone mm-hmm. and it's all fentanyl, right. and unfortunately they never wake up. So does the naloxone or Narcan? If somebody had a fentanyl exposure, would that bring them out of that? Because that's powerful stuff. Yeah, naloxone is literally an antidote. It's okay. an antidote for any opioid. Okay. Uh, now, people who are taking fentanyl or these synthetic fentanyls oftentimes may require higher doses to be able to actually get kind of fully resuscitated. Yeah. But most of the time, if you have somebody and they've overdosed on opioids and you give them naloxone, It'll at least get that breathing restarted, which is the key thing. That, yep, that's what kills absolutely. people in these overdoses. And people can have that, teachers, uh, coaches, and that kind of thing. And they, if they're not sure, they can still – it's a spray. It's like a nose spray. You shoot it in there. It's not going to really harm them if it wasn't an opioid situation. Exactly. It's, you know, there's, there's two forms. Most lay people, we kind of say, use the, the nasal spray. The Tennessee Department of Health has a great training site. You just Google, you know, Tennessee naloxone training. I'll okay. take you to that. You can use the nasal spray. And if somebody happened to be unconscious or have a medical emergency for something else and you give them naloxone, you're not going to cause them harm. Oh, that's interesting to know. But listen, this program you're doing here on educating educators is, is just fascinating. We're going to talk more with Dr. Tyler Barrett right here as we continue with more of Sumner County Spotlight. Thanks for listening to Sumner County Spotlight, a weekly public affairs program heard each and every Sunday right here on WHIN. Or you can listen on our podcast page at whinradio.com. If you'd like to become a sponsor of this program, reach out to me, Jeff Shannon, at jeff at whinradio.com. And we're back with Sumner County Spotlight, and we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Tyler Barrett. Uh, He's over at Vanderbilt, and he's a pretty important guy over there. He's the executive medical director of emergency services, so he is actually in a position to see a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here today. And they've taken the, the steps to form a program that helps to educate our educators because they're on the front line with our kids, you know, and our coaches, which I have no position of authority, but I think it, it's almost like the, the school district should make it mandatory that all educators take this course. So let's talk a little bit about what's in this course, what they have to do, uh, and it doesn't seem very complicated. No, this is a, a great program, and the actual platform that we use is called Quiz Time, and this was something that a number of Vanderbilt's investigators and IT folks put together several years ago. And so it's a really cool asynchronous learning tool. And by that, I mean that anyone who's interested in signing out for this course, they go to a website, they put in a little bit of some information, their name, their email address, and you can choose of whether you want to receive this the question either by email or you can get a text message to your phone if you want to put okay. in your cell phone number. You can set the time of day you want to get it. If you're a night owl like myself, you want to get it at you know 11 o'clock at night, you mm-hmm. could. If you're a teacher and you decide you want to do these questions with your biology class or your you know wellness class, you could do it with your students. Great. Um, wow. You could do it with your team at the end of practice if you want to set it up. And there are two 11-question quizzes. Um, they're complementary. The vast majority of the material sort of overlaps on some of the core topics. There are a couple of specific topics that are covered in the first quiz, which is currently uh, live and can be enrolled right now. 
part two is going to be launched uh, the first week of April. And then people could take them back to back. They could take one and then wait a few months and take the other one. But these quizzes will be open and available for anyone to roll in through the end of the calendar year. And well, let me ask you this, right, since we're talking about that, where would they go to get information on this program? There's the website that, that has uh, the link to enrollment, and I think you'll get that kind of posted on, uh, on the, the radio uh, sites. Mm-hmm. But um, if you type in opioid quiz time, and it'll show up as the, the Center for uh, Advanced Medical Learning, you should get a link there. But uh, Okay. Well, and yeah, because I, I think it's, I think if you did a search for this, and you know, something's got to pop up about it, because it's just so important. And I think with all the topics that you're covering, because, well, especially in sports, there's a lot of pain management has to go on with a lot of these athletes. And, you know, I think the coaches are in, on the front line to actually see this and help manage that. But I think it's information and education is the key here, right? And this is what you're trying to, to give them. Right. In these quizzes, we had a, a team of about a dozen specialists in psychiatry, psychology, sports medicine, emergency medicine, pharmacy, pediatric emergency medicine, a whole kind of spectrum of individuals who contribute. We have uh, one individual who's a uh, Vanderbilt uh, drug investigator, and uh, she's got some great information on just sort of the, how addiction affects the brain. I, I do want to say none of the material is PhD level. We specifically wanted to make this you know, so people can kind of talk about this with, with their students okay. and, and with their families. But um, hit, on, hit on a lot of the core topics. But um, related to sports, it's a, a great point. You know, mm-hmm. a number of the things we know, both sports injuries in addition to dental surgeries were some of the uh, ways that adolescents were first exposed to opioids. Mm-hmm. We also know that there's, you know, problems when people get concussions or are taking opioids, that those yeah. can sometimes go hand in hand. So. Sure. And there's just, there's so much involved in here. But like I said, I think the coaches are right there. And, and they're a lot closer, I think, to the, to the kids versus a teacher. They're going to be in, in the front line to, to help, you know, educate these kids and, and, and find a problem before it gets too worse. Because, you know, you're throwing in depression. The kids are going through the, you know, the pressures of life, get a job. And, and with my kid, it's like st- so stressful just to learn to drive. <laughs> it's like, no, yep. I'm good. You have to learn. <laughs> and they get so stressed out about that, you know. Back in the day, we're out. First time we were able to drive, we're gone. <laughs> Just get out of here. So some of the practices that, that when treating adolescents with these uh, conditions, uh, what are some of the practices uh, that would be involved there? As far as... Treating the adolescents with, the, with these painful conditions. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. Um, so as far as you know, treating acute pain, there's, you know, there's lots of non-opioid options when people have a, a, acute pain. And so I think when somebody has, let's just take a sports-related injury or somebody gets their wits, wisdom teeth taken out. Again, some of the most common reasons that a adolescent may, you know, get exposed to opioids. Like I said, there's, you know, we know that taking combination of anti-inflammatory medications okay. can, can work uh, as well for kind of treating the pain. The other thing that I think is really important for people to realize, when your body is having pain, mm-hmm. it's telling you something. Yes, yeah. And so the concept of taking a pill to overcome the pain so that you can you know, get back on the field sooner, 
that's not a good thing probably for mm-hmm. your body. Yeah. If it hurts too much for you to, you know, to run or do something along those lines, you probably need to spend a little bit more time with your athletic trainer or your physical therapist kind of work on things as opposed yeah. to just trying to take a pill. Sure. Now, so our coaches there, they're at practice, and what are some of the signs that they should look for? Some of the just general signs I think people should start paying attention to if they're concerned about an adolescent having problems with substance use or specifically opioids. Has there been just a general kind of change in their performance? Mm-hmm. You know, is that straight A student now starting to get kind of, you know, B's and C's and there's not a specific kind of reason for it? Mm-hmm. Do they seem more withdrawn? You know, some of the things that we see when people are starting to withdrawing is are they just unusually sweating? Are they yawning a lot of times? One of the one of the most specific things for opioids that we'll see is people have really small pupils, what oh. we call pinpoint pupils. So if a student, if a teacher's come upon a student and they look, you know, and they're in a normal lit room and that, that pupil is, you know, looks pretty pinpoint. Yeah. That's something to be worried about. Got to look at. Yeah. Well, also noticing these signs, but also having some tools. And we spoke about Narcan earlier. Is this required to have in, in the schools or is it just a school system choice to have? That's, that's a great question. I think each school system is determining which medications that they're, they're having. Mm-hmm. I would highly recommend not only every school system, but mm-hmm. I think every, every individual, especially anyone who's got the parents of adolescents, you can go now to most pharmacies. Um, many of the pharmacies have what they call collaborative prescribing agreements. Mm-hmm. And you can get a prescription for Narcan, um, you know, without having to necessarily go to your your doctor. Okay. And if you've ever given Afrin or you know given any sort of nasal spray, you know, mm-hmm. one of the allergy nasal sprays, you can give Narcan. It's pretty oh, really? much it's pretty much the same thing. I thought and it was like an Epi where you yeah, a needle, there, but this there, is a there is a needle version too. Okay. But in general, for most lay people, we tell them the the nasal spray. Okay. I've got. You know, I've got a couple in my car. I've got a couple at my home because I've said you just never know when you're going to come upon somebody. Yeah. And even if you're wrong, if somebody is unconscious for some other reason and you gave them, you know, naloxone is is the is the specific name. Narcan being one of the the trades you give them naloxone, you're not going to harm them. Right. Our EMS services and we do it all the time in the emergency department when we have somebody's unresponsive, give it. And you know, sometimes that's the cause and sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. And it's not far better air on the side of saving saving a life than than sure. being worried about some sort of cause. Now is there training for that? There is. Okay. There's there's a great and part of the curriculum that we'll have is the link the Tennessee Department of Health has a fantastic naloxone training service. They actually have an individual who will come around oh. and give training sessions. Okay. And uh, oftentimes with the training sessions actually provide free naloxone kits mm-hmm. that you can have with you. But So I'm wondering, as a school system, if they were buying a quantity of that, because it's a one-time use, you don't reuse it, right? So it's just, you, you keep a, some stock at, at a school, you might need more than just one. <laughs> I wonder if, you know, they would, is a subscription kind of thing where they can, you know, replenish that if needed or... So I would recommend any school or school nurse or administrators interested, reach out to the Tennessee Department of Health. And um, I know from experience, you can Google kind of the naloxone training, Tennessee Department of Health, and pretty quickly get to get to the link and talk with them first. And uh, they can probably help um, ensure that the, the school gets, okay. uh, gets the best. No, I mean, that's great. For that, I so. mean, you know, if, if EMS has it, law enforcement, everybody, you know, it's got to be doing something. So this has the blessing of some, some pretty high up folks. Yeah, this project 
project was supported and uh, by the Tennessee Department of Health, and actually the grant came through the through the CDC. Okay. And so this is something that we're super excited about. And you know, back to back to your last comment. You know, remember minutes matter when we're talking about the brain and the heart. And so, so even calling nine one one, if you're ever giving somebody naloxone, just like people when they're given epipens, I know mm-hmm. a lot of our teachers have become more accustomed to that with with allergies over the the past few decades. But you know, after you give it or simultaneously, you're calling nine one one. This isn't one of those you give the spray and kind of pat them on the back and then kind of go back so to they wake up and that kind of right. thing. Right, you're you're getting our our trained responders okay. there to uh, to to make sure. But you know, having it at arm's reach to be able to give it immediately may very well mean the difference between that that student that individual right. returning to a normal life versus right. having some long term problem. Right. Let's let's walk through it. So we find a student. Now they're down. They call them. What are some of the things they would do? Check pulse, check breathing. You know, you might need CPR. I mean, it could be something else. What were the steps that they would do to initiate the use of the Narcan? Right. So just like your classic basic life support, you know, if you came upon somebody who's down, try to arouse them, make sure they're just not sleeping on you. Yeah. But, yeah. And then we go, it's ABCs, you know, check and see, does it seem like they're breathing, feeling a pulse? Obviously, if they don't have a pulse, we always jump right in and do, you know, CPR right. and, you know, uh, have somebody start doing chest compressions. As I said, some of the things that we look for, if those pupils look really small. So um, if they're passed out, they can open up their eye yeah, and a, look, if it's pinpoint, okay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. If, if there's that, or if there's any concern, if there's any you know drug paraphernalia around the area, or they see some some pills or th- something like that. Mm-hmm. But again, if you see a student, most of our students shouldn't be having cardiac arrest in yes. um, yeah. and, and teenage. You know, and if there's something that seems you know that that this could be a potential cause of that. While you're attending to you know, CPR, getting an AED in case they do have an underlying cardiac mm-hmm. issue, and calling 911, if you have naloxone nearby, go get it and give a couple, you know, give give a spray in each nostril. Okay. If they were in that condition, let's say it was an overdose kind of situation, a couple sprays in the nostrils, what would happen after that? They'll wake Normally. up. <laughs> they'll, they'll wake up pretty quick. I mean, within generally our experience is they're going to wake up probably within a minute. Okay. The important thing, especially these days, and as you were kind of mentioning earlier, is with these synthetics, and by that I mean the fentanyls and some of these other synthetic fentanyls, is sometimes it may end up taking more than our standard dose to fully resuscitate somebody. So you may get a response they may not be completely back to talking with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, the important thing is when you take somebody who's been intoxicated on opioids or even an intentional overdose and you, you know, naloxone essentially completely takes them, puts them into withdrawal, um, just be prepared. They They're not going to be normal. <laughs> they, they sometimes are not incredibly happy with you, especially <laughs> if they have a dependence issue and they've been using it for a while. So mm-hmm. they may be a little agitated, but you know, again, but they're I'll alive. Take, <laughs> I'll take agitation over death any day. Oh, you so. know it. You know it. Wow. I mean, this is such an amazing topic, and I'm so glad that you, you know, you're you're taking this by the horns and running with it. And it is a statewide thing, and it's a course that will prepare educators to help save lives, and that's utmost importance. And they're, they're kind of teaching them what they need to know about opioids 
opioid use and our kids. In the school system, I mean, these folks are on the front line, and it, I think it's so important that they that they do that. I applaud you for, for taking this and, and running with it, and I, I just I wish every uh, educator in the state can jump on this. We might even crash the website. I would love for us to crash the website. <laughs> I and agree. And, give and, that website again. It's the Quiz Time. So if you just type in bumc.quiztime, okay. it'll take you to the main landing page. Okay. And and again, we'll we'll get that link posted on the on on the radio yeah. site for, yeah, we'll for people. There. And if anyone has a problem getting a hold of the website, they can always kind of reach out to to me. My my email is readily available on Vanderbilt's medical okay. center side. So. Well, I mean, I'm so glad that uh, you're doing this. I know it's a lot of work, and but it's important, you know. It is, and I've got a fantastic team. You know, Dr. Bonnie Miller and Brian Allen, and uh, our team Kim Garvey and Emily Lagunas, who kind of overlooks in our Tennessee Department of Health and the Department of Education have all been very supportive. And, you know, my author team has been outstanding putting together these courses. And, you know, like I said, I think anyone who interacts with adolescents, young adults, whether you are a official educator or you run a group or youth group or anyone can sign up and take this course. The, the more education we get out there, the the better. So. Well, I see this coming out in the journal, man. Got to get that thing published. <laughs> and a book. Might as well write a book about it. <laughs> there you go. Hey, we're talking with Tyler Barrett, Dr. Tyler Barrett, and he is uh, down at Vanderbilt, Executive Medical Director of Emergency Services and Professor of Emergency Medicine. Doctor, thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. Thank you so much for helping promote this important work. Absolutely. And that's going to wrap it up for this edition of Sumner County Spotlight. Join us next week for more of Sumner County Spotlight. Sumner County Spotlight will return next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening.